Hi, I'm Grayson Willis. Thank you for joining us today on the podcast for Harrisonburg Nazarene Church. Join us each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. on Facebook Live. Be sure to like and follow our page while you're there. Please take time to subscribe for updates and new episodes to this podcast. You can now search for our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts. Uh, I want to begin this morning with uh, a story as we prepare to close out our series called Drifting, a series that I believe God has ordained for this season, not just for us as a church, but for our community, for this valley, for our nation, really. Um, And so I want to begin with a story. I was probably about five years old, and this is a pretty early memory in that I don't have a lot of memories, but I have a a couple specific images that come into my head when I think about the story. Uh, My family had gone canoeing, which is not something we did very often. We were not like the outdoorsy type family at all. And so this may have been the only time as a kid I ever went. But I I was canoeing, and I remember being in the back. I think the back is an important spot because you have to steer and stuff, so I'm not really sure why they put me in the back. But I believe my brother was in front of me, my dad in the front, uh, or maybe dad in the middle, brother in the front. But anyway, I knew I was in the back. And we're kind of drifting along. I mean, this is not an aggressive canoeing trip. This is kind of like, you know, water that's not really moving. We're paddling along. And quite honestly, I was pretty bored with it. I'm going to be honest. And so somewhere along this kind of gradual drift, down, I just took my, my paddle, which I'm not even sure how I was important enough to get a paddle at age five, but somehow they trusted me with one. And I just remember turning around and just kind of dropping it in the water. I just let it go down the stream so peacefully as we continued uh, to float along. And, and a few minutes later, we get into a little bit part of the river that's a little rougher, and we need to paddle. And my dad's kind of barking orders, and he turns around, and I'm just sitting here kind of daydreaming in the back. And he goes, where's your paddle? And I said, oh, I, I left it back there, you know, a couple hundred yards. And my dad, of course, exasperated, what? what are you? But when I think of drifting, I kind of think of that paddle. It might still be somewhere floating along Uh, Because that's the imagery in this season that we're talking about. See, drifting, it's not, it's it's subtle. It's it's not drastic. It's not extreme. And and in these days where so much around us seems uncertain, I actually think these messages matter even more. Because what what we're realizing is that we don't become the people that God intended us to be on accident. We don't drift into a life of holiness. No, 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 quite the opposite. And so if we're not careful, if we're not intentional, we we believe that this requires focus and urgency. And if we do not have that in these days, we begin to drift just like my paddle down the river that day. Hey, I want to invite you to turn with me today to the gospel of Luke chapter 10. Uh, If you're not familiar at all with the scriptures, uh, Luke chapter 10 is really one of the biographies. There's four gospels in the Bible, and they're really just biographies of the life of Jesus. And so this is Luke's biography of the life of Jesus. And today we're going to read in chapter 10 to close out our series on drifting uh, an important story that I think has really, really important implications for all of us. And just as these past weeks, as we've been preparing, as we're kind of looking at the things that we had planned weeks and weeks ahead in light of the day and times in which we're living, I just think these words for us today are profound, and they're from the Lord. So uh, you see the words there behind me, but if you're at home and you have your copy of Scripture, uh, would you open it together with us? If you have your Version Bible app, would you open it there? We have an event set up for you. Uh, it be beautiful today to just be on the same page of Scripture, no matter where you are this morning. I'm going to start reading in verse 38 
of Luke chapter 10. And if you know me, you know we're going to stop a few times and come up for air and talk about the things that we're reading. It says this, Luke 10, verse 38, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Tell her to help me. In this story, we're presented, it's a, it's a well-known story if you're familiar with the scripture. We're presented with two different sisters, right? With very different dispositions, with very different personalities. Uh, Mary was kind of a, what we would call a beer, right? She, she liked to sit. She liked to be present uh, with people, even right now with Jesus. Uh, but Martha, she was a doer. She liked to do things. And it wasn't that she didn't like people, but she was just active. And she's the kind of person that gets out of bed in the morning with a, with a list of 10 things that have to be done. And she's not sitting around. She's not waiting. She's a doer. And at first, this story may seem like it's an indication of, of kind of which personality type Jesus prefers. It may seem like this is kind of a, an Enneagram perspective on which personality profile Jesus likes. That's not the story at all. And the reason we know it's not that is because look again with me at verse 40 of Luke chapter 10. I have it on the screen here. It says, uh, of all these things, the story says, but Martha was distracted by the preparations that had to be made. Notice it says that the preparations had to be made, but, but Martha was distracted by them. And so really, we see and understand here that this story is not about a personality type. It's not about a, a disposition that's more holy or better than the other. But this is a story about our hearts. And this is a story about focus. And it was clear that in these moments with Jesus, Martha was distracted. Let's continue reading verse 41. Um, again, she replies... Tell her to help me, is what she says to Jesus in verse 40. In verse 41, Jesus says, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. Or indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Uh, again, as we read, as we understand, this is really the turning point in the story. This is really what the story is all about. It's not a lesson on hospitality. It's not a lesson on personality profile. It's a clear picture into the heart that Jesus desires. And just as we see in verse 40 that Martha was distracted, look again now at verse 41. This is how we know what the story is really all about. Uh, Jesus is commenting and he tells her in verse 41, not just is she, is she distracted by all the preparations, but now that she is worried and upset at many things. The things that she, she's doing are causing anxiety. They're causing stress. And this is not what God desires for her. And then look what it says in verse 42, the next verse. Jesus says, but few things are needed. In fact, only one. I try to read the scripture sometimes like someone who wasn't raised in the church. And, and honestly, I was. I joke, I was, I was the child, the baby, literally, that, that parents forgot in the church. I was there so much, so often. I've been raised in the church that this word has always been a part of my life. I'm grateful for that, but I'm going to be honest sometimes, like I read this word like I've read it 
a hundred times before. And if I hadn't, and I was reading this story for the first time, I would read the words of Jesus there and I would begin to ask the question, if Jesus said, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, indeed only one, I would ask the question, well, what is the one thing? If few things are needed, maybe only one, what is the one thing that is needed, Jesus? Isn't that a relevant question? Isn't that a relevant question when we've got a a Bible full of commandments and scriptures and we've got a world full of ideas that I can Google and look on YouTube and there's all kinds of truth being, isn't it a really good question to say, Jesus, what is the one thing? Well, Well, thousands of years ago, someone else had that same question for Jesus. In Matthew 22, I'm not going to turn to it here, but, but there's a religious leader that comes to Jesus. And, and really, his motive that day was not, not genuine. His motive that day was to try to stump Jesus, was to try to, to trick him into picking which one of the old covenant laws was best, was most important. But, but the question, even though the motives were wrong, the question was a good one. He simply said, Jesus, what, what's the most important command? Jesus, what is the one thing and Jesus in response says these words that you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul with all your mind this is the first and greatest commandment and then he says the second is like it love your neighbor as yourself but we can't miss the one thing that Jesus said is to love the Lord your God with all I love the heart, and I love the mind, and I love the soul, and and we can get in all that. But the bottom line is Jesus says the one thing is to love the Lord your God with all. That is the one thing. You know what that really is? Loving the Lord your God with all. That's worship. That's worship that we don't just do on a stage via Facebook Live. That's worship that shows up in our homes. It shows up even when we can't leave our homes and we're stuck there and we're walking our dog in the neighborhood or we're picking dandelions in the backyard, whatever we got to do to stay sane, right, right? Worship shows up there because even there, despite our circumstances, we're committed. Oh, God, I want to love you with all, all that I am. That is the one thing. And so when Jesus says, you're worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed indeed, only one, I believe he's referring to that one thing. And so that begs the question, It begs the question for us that that if that is the one thing, why wouldn't I? Why wouldn't I reorient my life around the one thing that if that is the most important thing, why wouldn't I drastically change my priorities to ensure that that is the most important thing in my life? Here's what I'm learning about me. Uh, This is just me, so maybe not you. I'm pretty good at doing things for the Lord. This is not a brag thing like, ooh, look at him. I I mean, I could show you my schedule. I could show you my appointments. I mean, I'm a pastor, okay? So that's my job. My job is to do things for the Lord. And I could give you reports and I could tell you things and prove that I stay pretty busy, okay? And that's a good thing. But here's what I'm learning. Here's the truth that God is speaking to me about. That sometimes I allow the things that, that I do for him to replace the need to be with him. And you may not understand what I'm saying, but some of you, some of you that are where I am, you know exactly what I'm saying. That we get so busy doing things for him that we neglect the one thing, the one thing to worship 
him with all to sit at his feet, which is what Mary did. And she was committed in that moment that he had it all, all the focus, all the attention. There was nothing else distracting her. And this is what I'm learning about me is that oftentimes what I do with Christ is far more important than what I do for him. Now listen, doing things for Christ is so important, but I'm saying if I do things for Christ, but I've neglected to be with him, to sit at his feet, to do the one thing, worship, man, all the things I do for him are just not worth it. If I haven't learned what it is to be with him. And so what would it mean for us to reorient our lives around the one thing? In fact, today, if I were to ask you, if I were to ask you, what is the biggest obstacle facing uh, not just you today, but, but our, our nation, uh, specifically the church around the world today, what is the biggest obstacle? I know many of you think today it's the pandemic we're facing, and that, that's a real obstacle, but I would say that's not it. Some of us today, if we were honest, we would say, well, it's modernity, post-modernity, uh, liberal theology, kind of the theology philosophy of the day. It's uh, the increased idea that sexuality and gender, the views on that are shifting day to day. And many of you would say that's the biggest obstacle the church is facing today, not just corporately, but individually, we as the church. And I would say that while all of those are valid, I don't think that's the biggest obstacle that we face today. Because you see, if Jesus points us to the one thing, then I have to believe the biggest obstacle in our lives today is the thing that would prevent us from doing that one thing. I believe the single greatest obstacle facing us today is busyness. Busyness. Listen, there is in our lives a normal kind of busy that I have to do a lot because I'm living a meaningful life and I have to accomplish some things, but there is in our lives something that I would call a toxic busy. And that's the idea that I have too much to do in too little time, so I'm constantly in a hurry. Everything I do, no matter where I am, I'm not even present there because I'm thinking of all the other things I have to do. Uh, Ronald Rollheiser, who's a great author and theologian, he, he talks about it this way, as pathological busyness. Literally, a pathogen, he says, spreading disease in our society. And so while we are dealing today with a pandemic in our nation and in our world, there is a pandemic that has existed beneath the surface long before this moment, and it's busyness. It's busyness. Many of us, many of us end up like Martha. We're busy, but we're not blessed. And so today... If loving the Lord with all, if that is the one thing, then the greatest obstacle is a life that beckons us to do more. Do you see the difference? Jesus calls us to do the one thing, to reorient everything in our lives back to worship to him. And so the greatest obstacle of that has to be the temptation, the call to do more, 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 more. And that's what a life of busyness does. Uh, Dallas Willard says it this way. He's a pastor, a famous author who's recently passed away, and he says it this way, that you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry because hurry is the greatest enemy of the spiritual life in our day. Hurry is the greatest enemy of the spiritual life in our day. Interestingly, just a couple weeks ago, we spoke about technology. And man, aren't you grateful for that today? Thanks for worshiping with us. Thanks for joining in. I'm so grateful that we have technology. But you would think with all the technology that we have, 
That our lives would be simpler, our lives would be easier, our lives would be less stressful. We would have more time, but nothing could be farther than the truth, right? Because busyness, for many of us, it's become like a badge of honor. Like, if I'm important, then I'm busy. So how are you? Well, I'm busy. I'm busy. That's, it's kind of like a, a hierarchy that the busier we are, the more important we must be. And so instead of kind of rejecting that or, or pushing back against that or understanding that maybe that's a, that's a tool of the enemy to keep us from focused on the one thing, we wear it like a badge of honor. Look at me and how busy I am. Busyness and sin really have the same effect, don't they? Think about it. It cuts off your connection with God. It cuts off your connection, meaningful connection with others. It cuts off connection even to your own soul. That's what a life of busyness, a life of hurry does for us. Uh, John Mark Comer, who I've referenced throughout this series, he wrote a really, really good book. I could not recommend it to you more highly called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. But in it, he says this. This is profound. He says, money has created a culture of too many options. And the more options we have, the busier we get. And the busier we are, the more anxious we become. Do you know 39% of Americans across all ages, all demographics, 39% of Americans admit to being more anxious today than they were one year ago. That's almost four out of every ten people would say they are more anxious today than one year ago. So we have to begin to understand the pandemic of busyness all around us. And isn't it ironic? Isn't it ironic in the midst of the season where we're being told to stay home? Where we're canceling so many gatherings and so many activities and, and so many things. Isn't it interesting that many of us are kind of squirming uncomfortably because we don't know how to be still? We don't know how to rest. Even being home, we, we find ways to fill our lives with busyness because that's the only norm that we've ever known. We have to begin listening to our souls and understanding that God desires something far greater for us. I am a terrible gardener. I'm terrible. I've said that before. I don't... I, the plants are Lauren's thing. Like we have plants in our home now and I don't touch them. She won't let me touch them. I don't need to touch them because if I do, I'll drown them or I'll starve them or whatever. But there's certain things I do understand about growing a garden, about, about having plants, about having a green thumb. And, and there's certain requirements, right? You got to have the right soil. Certain ones got to have the right light, indirect light, direct light, certain amount of time, certain temperature, all this crazy stuff, right? There's a certain environment that's needed in order for that plant to, to thrive and to prosper. And the truth for us today, the truth for us today is this, that worship won't grow in a garden of hurry. Listen to what I'm saying today. Listen to what I'm saying. If worship is the one thing to love the Lord your God with all, what I'm saying to you today is the worship in your life that you need the worship in your life that desperately connects you to the heart of God and even to the hearts of your neighbors and even to your own soul. Worship won't grow in a garden of hurry. And for many of us, that's the garden that we've planted. Too much to do, too little time, and so we live our life rushed from one thing to the other. Uh, one of the things that health professionals have started to use in this culture in which we live 
where the idea of hurry and busyness has become overwhelming, anxiety-producing in so many of our people. One of the things they've actually started to refer to a syndrome, it's called uh, hurry sickness. This is a real thing. This is a real thing. And I'm going to read you for a minute the 10 symptoms, the 10 symptoms of hurry sickness. And, and I took this. I didn't do well. If this was like a, a pass-fail thing, I'm not going to tell you what my grade would have been. But I want to share these with you, not out of conviction, not out of guilt, not out of shame, but in love. Because I believe God has called us in these days to push back against the culture of busyness. To push back against the culture of hurry and instead to embrace the one thing that God would have for us. And so listen, see if you identify with any of these things. Uh, number one, hurry sickness. Uh, number one is irritability. Annoyed too easily. Again, these are symptoms of those that deal with a life of hurry. Hurry sickness. Number two, number one is irritability. Number two is hypersensitivity. A small comment, a little mistake throws you into a major emotional event. Number three, restlessness. You don't know how to rest. Even when you have time, even when you have the opportunity, you cannot rest. Number four, workaholism. You don't know when to stop and you can't stop. You're always doing, you're always working, you're always going. Number five, emotional numbness. You have no empathy for others. You lose your empathy for other people. Number six, out of order priorities. You get sucked into the urgent, but maybe forget what the important is and your life is just dictated by chasing after one fire after another. Number seven, a lack of care for your own body. You don't take time to think about how you're treating yourself, how you're nurturing yourself, how you're feeding your, your body and your mind and your heart. Number seven, escapist behaviors. We overeat, we binge on entertainment, we use them to escape from the reality of our lives and what we really need to address. Number nine, slippage from spiritual disciplines. We begin to just do the urgent and the important. And what begins to slip are the things that feed our souls, the things that we need to center us back on God's best for us. Number 10, isolation. If you watched last week, you know isolation, that you begin to feel disconnected from God and from others. So today, how'd you do? <laughs> Don't tell your neighbor. If you're sitting there watching with somebody, don't tell them. It's, it's, it's personal, right? It's convicting. But, but we, if, if you feel like you're failing, you're not alone because we live in a culture, in a world overcome with busyness, overcome with hurry. And so today I want to offer two suggestions. First, I want you to know there's hope because of Jesus. That his kindness leads us to repentance. That his goal and his desire for you is not on the rat race of life, the hamster wheel of just going and going and going. That's not the desire that God has for you. And so today I want to offer just two suggestions, two ways that I believe in your life right now. There has been no better time. Listen, listen. For many of us, so many of the options, so many of the things have been removed. And we get a choice now. We get a choice moving forward. How do I want to build my life? How do I want to structure my time? How do I want to reorient my priorities in these days? And so I think there's no greater time than now to talk about these things. First, I think one of the ways that we counteract busyness in our lives is through disciplines. I know, some of us don't like that word. I get it, it hurts a little bit. But, but listen, I believe disciplines, not just any discipline, but specifically the discipline of silence and solitude. Silence and solitude. 
in a world of technology, in a world where there's always noise around us, not even just like music noise or news, but literally, we're always connected, we're always engaged, we're always thinking of something other than even where we are, we're a flux of constant noise, and we struggle as believers in Christ to know what it is to be still, to know what it is to be silent, to know what it is to even embrace solitude. I'm not just talking to introverts this morning. Think about Jesus. Jesus constantly throughout his ministry Jesus modeled being alone, getting alone with the Father. And if there's one person that could get away with not practicing a discipline of silence and solitude, it was Jesus. He was a superhero. He could do anything. He could do all things. He didn't need that. But but even then, he withdrew to be alone, to be alone in silence, to be alone in stillness, sometimes as much as 40 days, right? And so we look at the life of Jesus and what he valued, and we have to understand that we must value that too. And so maybe in your life of busyness, maybe in your life of more, 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 the answer is to create even brief times, even little pockets of time and space where you remove the noise, you cut off the distractions, and you learn what it is to be still and silence. You may say, well, what is this really about? Really, it's, it's about a moment of intentional time to be quiet and alone with God, the practice of waiting on God. Focusing on him, allowing him to fill us. It's an aspect of private prayer, of private worship, but instead of doing the talking, we cling to Christ in silence and we learn to listen. We still ourselves and wait to hear what God would want to say to us. I love reading. I love listening. I love doing. I am a doer, but I'm learning in these days what it means to remove distraction, to be still. And to wait, and sometimes, well, what am I waiting for? What am I getting? I promise you, learning to rest, learning to just be still in those moments and just literally breathe in and breathe out. Trust God and to listen, to not have to fill that time with noise and stuff in doing. This is not about isolation. It's not a sort of spiritual social distancing, but it's learning to be still. It's learning to listen. Learning that prayer is about connecting with the presence of God more than it is about a laundry list of needs. And I'm here to tell you, this is an area that we struggle with time and time again. If Jesus modeled the importance of this man, we should lean in and embrace what it means to embrace silence, solitude. Ten minutes a day, could you begin with that, inserting that into your life? Next, next, I promise two ways, there's many I believe, but two ways that the Lord's helping me counteract busyness in my life. The second is this idea of a biblical Sabbath, a biblical Sabbath. Sabbath is, if you're not familiar with scripture, Sabbath is a a day blessed by God for the purpose of two things, for rest and for worship. For rest and for worship. Many connect the idea of Sabbath to the Old Testament and the Old Covenant. And while that's true that they practice Sabbath in the Old Covenant, uh, the beautiful thing about Sabbath is it actually predates the law. We get the origin of Sabbath not because uh, it was written down thousands of years ago, but but we get it from the very beginning of Scripture in Genesis chapter 2. God, all-powerful God, he created everything, right? And he saw that it was good, but on the seventh day he rested. The God of the universe rested? 
I mean, if there's anybody that could do more, if there's anybody that didn't need to take a power nap, it's the God of the universe. Yet we see that clearly articulated for us because even for God, it was important to establish a day. A day to disconnect, a day to unplug, a day to learn to rest. If we were honest, we have seven days a week and we leverage all seven of those days to accomplish as much as we can. Everything. And what would it mean for us to literally take a day that we set aside, that we guard, that we protect, not to accomplish more, not to do more things on our list, not to do all the things we didn't get done yesterday or the things that we need to get a head start on for tomorrow, but to actually learn to guard that space and time. And as much as we can in a culture of busyness, guard that space and time for the purpose of rest and worship. Rest, maybe not binging on Netflix for eight hours, right? Maybe that's not the kind of rest we're talking about, but learning to lean into this idea of getting rest for our souls. Jesus said this about the Sabbath. He said that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So this is not, this is not a religious burden. This is not something that we have to feel some debt of obligation towards. What Jesus was saying when he said that is you were created to set aside time for rest and worship. This is for your benefit, not some legalistic law that we have to follow through. And many of us, many of us, even as we read the Ten Commandments, we just, we equate Sabbath to, well, I went to church for an hour on Sunday. I don't have all the time today that I need, but let me just tell you, in my life, slowly but surely, I've begun to guard a day. I have to work hard all week to prepare for it. I have to do some errands ahead of time and some yard work ahead of time, but begin to set aside a 24-hour period where I'll only do the things that are absolutely necessary, but I learn to rest, and I learn to worship. And you know what I do? I put my phone away. You know what I do? I sit on the floor and play with my kids. I'm more present than I ever am at any point during the week, and none of it feels like a burden. You know what it feels like to me? Rest. <laughs> worship escaping the pandemic of busyness in my life. And I'm here to tell you, I don't have it nailed down yet, but God is freeing me a little bit at a time to embrace this idea of Sabbath. Uh, in our Version event today, there's two incredible resources for this spiritual discipline of silence and solitude. You may be leaning into that saying, man, I need help in this area. There's an incredible resource we've listed there in our Version event. Also, this idea of Sabbath helping us get some handles on what does this look like in a 21st century world that is so chaotic and so full of busyness. There's a great resource there, but this is how I want to close this morning. With the words of Jesus. With the words of Jesus. And Mandy's coming, and Ashley's coming, and they're going to help us uh, prepare to close this time. But everything that I've said today, all that I think is so relevant, and for a lot of us, if we were honest, it's really convicting. Even in a time when so much noise and busyness has been taken away, has been moved to the margins, we're still convicted by how much we resort back to that, that idea of busyness more, more, and more. And so today, I want to leave you with challenging words, powerful words, not my words, not an author's words, not my thoughts, but the words of Jesus. And I keep coming back to these words time and time again in this area of drifting, especially when it comes to the area of busyness in my life. Consider these words from Matthew 11, and Jesus said this, Come to me, all who are weary, all who are burdened, and I will give you rest. 
Jesus, the Son of God, thousands of years ago, before the internet existed, before social media, before you were 24-hour access to the news and to your work email and to all the responsibilities crushing in around you, thousands of years ago, Jesus talked about rest. And he said, rest is ultimately found, what? Through the one thing. Come to me. Seek me with all. Come. If you're weary and you're burdened, maybe you're physically weary, emotionally, spiritually burdened, come to me. I will give you rest. Then listen to what he says. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. I am gentle and humble and heart. You will find rest for your souls. And then I love this part. He says, for my yoke is easy. My burden is light. You know, the last thing you need to feel today in the midst of busyness, in the midst of maybe some habits that we've developed to resort to busyness, and you know what that does? It ultimately leads us to drifting away from the one thing. The last thing you need to feel today is that the God of the universe is somewhere up there with his arms crossed looking at you disappointed and angry. And That's not it today. His deepest desire is to say, come to me. I will give you rest. My yoke is easy. Not the yoke of busyness, man. That's stressful and chaotic and destructive. But my yoke, Jesus said, is easy. My burden is light. So today I asked the band to help us, lead us in a final song. Maybe it's new to you, maybe it's not, but it really just challenges us to come back to that one thing, to sit at the feet of Jesus, to learn maybe this is the perfect time for you to reorient your life away from drifting, away toward the chaos of busyness, and instead to say, God, I want to focus on the one thing, and that's you. So as this song plays, right where you are, some of you, right there in your living room, you can kneel. You can make it an altar. You can have it be a time where you set apart and say, God, you, you are the one thing that I want is you more than anything. But today, as you hear this song, let's direct our hearts, direct our souls back to the one thing that God has called us to. Thanks again for listening today. If you have any questions about the church, please email us at info at abeaconofhope.org. As soon as you're finished listening today, please subscribe to this channel for updates and new episodes.